what it's all about, Lord. It's not about us. It's all about you. And I pray that the message will just uh, touch your people here where they are, Lord. And they'll see how, just how wonderful you are, Lord, how gracious and merciful that you are. Even in the midst of times when we don't understand, Lord, but you always understand. So I thank you, Lord, and uh, pray that you'll be glorified this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Uh, I think with pastors and and when you put messages together, so often the illustrations that you use come from your own experiences. That I, we found, or I found, that's the best way to relate to people because even though my experience might be different than yours, you say, ah, I can identify with that in my own way. So... Um, being the youngest of five, which I am, and was, is, whatever, um, my older brother, I talked to him now and then, my older brother Bob was kind of my, my hero. Uh, Lose my parents at a very early age, and he kind of stepped in in so many different ways and supported me in many different ways. Uh, but what happened to him when he was just a young boy Growing up, um, I was so young, I don't remember a lot of things, so a lot of this was passed down to me as I grew older, but some things I witnessed myself. But my brother was severely abused by his father, both physically and verbally. And uh, I can remember a time when I was on a porch of our house and suddenly the screen, in, the screen door opened up and outran my brother with my father in hot pursuit. Don't know what happened, but I know, I know the ending of it. My brother was running. They're running down the street. And my brother thought to himself, I better stop running because the old man's going to have a heart attack. He stopped running and my my father just beat the dickens out of him. That happened time and again with my brother. And finally, at the age of 16 or 17, whatever it was, he dropped out of school and went in the service to get away from his dad. And so through my brother's growing up uh, out, of, out of the service, he, he uh, married, and they quickly had four children. And some of those traits, some of the fallout from being abused started coming into his household. And he couldn't get away from it. I'm not making excuses for him, but it was, he was so messed up. And that marriage did not last. And so he divorced with four little kids, uh, younger kids, confused, hurt, whatever. And after a few years, my brother remarried, and they had one child and one daughter, and he was like a different person. 
You know, some of the old stuff that Bob would, would do were gone. He had a different attitude toward his, you know, his second wife and their child. He's very responsive to, to the, his, his little girl. And then my brother uh, was diagnosed with really uh, terminal heart issues. His heart was just... Uh, it was at that point in time where I was, as a pastor, in another denomination, we had our headquarters in his area, so I'd visit my brother a lot when I'd be up there for business or what have you. And uh, so it was a good time to kind of connect with him because he was dying, and we had a lot of conversation, etc. And uh, with him, I did, and we talked to him, and God used me to lead him to Christ before he died, just a day before he died. And uh, so in that sense, there were some good things were happening. But that cloud, now for some of you, maybe here in your own household, you've experienced some bad things in your family that you're still dealing with, as I was dealing with my bad stuff. So my brother passes away at 51 years old. And going to his, the visitation, I'm saying this, I don't be too graphic, but his wife and two of his children were just in deep, deep, deep grief like I've never seen before. And as I watched that grief as a, as a pastor, I just let it go because they had to grieve. But then I thought to myself, in my own way, why would this happen to a 51-year-old man after all the things he had gone through in his life Things were now starting to, the past few years were going well for him. His job was going well, new family, etc. And then this, the why. That's why I want to start this morning. Because all of us, in our own way, we, all, we have those why questions in our families. My stories are different than yours, but maybe you've gone through, going through some real hard stuff in your family. And that seems to be the trend these days. Domestic issues are really at one of the top of the list. I probably talked to Victor about this. Would know that maybe law enforcement, they have to deal with. Probably the hardest thing is probably, I would think, would be going into a domestic violence situation or a household where that's going on. But the why question. And we're going to be looking at uh, Psalm 10. So you want to be looking at Psalm 10, and most would agree that King David wrote this psalm because he definitely wrote Psalm 9, so they're concluded that this, he just a carryover into verse 10. So David is going through some deep stuff. He talked about the wickedness and evil. And so David is lamenting here very strongly. So he was asking the why question. So that's our first thought, the why question. And let's start with Psalm, verse 1 in Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist begins with a complaint 
marked by frustration and patience and despair concerning God's absence and why the wicked prosper at the expense of the downtrodden. Again, we ask the why questions. Why? You know, what are your why questions that you have that maybe God has not answered for you, that you are still on that journey, you're in that process where you are just overwhelmed with either pain, with frustration, whatever it is, and you are asking the why question. Why me? So getting back to my brother, I, I officiated at his funeral. But here's the deal. I was feeling sorry for myself. And maybe I was looking for somebody to give me recognition or somebody to tell me, you know, to pat me on the back or whatever it is. But I told a Christian friend, I said, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do my brother's funeral. You know, really, I wanted to grieve. I wanted to be part of a grief. And that person looked at me straight in the eye and said, well, why not you? Why not you? In my complaint, in my lament, I found God's help. I found his mercy. I found his grace. That's for all of us. We are all in this together. I'm not any greater than you are. You are not greater than I am. We are all on the level, plain level as far as God is concerned. And I can only tell you this, that in my lament, God helped me. And he had to help me because that was just, well, I had done other uh, family funerals, whatever, but for my sibling, he was the first one. Then came my older sister, then my middle sister, not to mention Jan's brother and my, my beloved uh, in-laws. But I learned something. I wasn't so great. I learned to, to depend on God for everything. In my weaknesses, I depended upon him. And you know what I'm talking about, because in your weaknesses, you have learned to depend on your God. When those why questions come, why did this happen? God, this not fair. Why did it happen? Why didn't my loved one die? Why did my loved one come down with this or that or the other thing? The why, why, why? If you are stuck with the whys, you need to get over that. You need to really, like David did, as we continue our journey in, in uh, chapter 10, to figure out how we can, God can become strong in our lives through the why questions. The Bible is loaded with complainers. I mean, we could spend here all day long talking about those that complain before God. And complaining is not a bad thing, as long as it's good, healthy complaining. You know? God, I wanted this convertible. Oh, gee. You know, I saw one in the showcase. Oh, man. Had all the things I wanted on it. I loved the color. It was great. I just want this so bad, God. Please, please, please. You'll go back to the showroom. The car's there, but it's a different stinking color. And you hate the color. And you say, why, God? Why, why? Well, you know how bad I want. That's not the kind of complaints we're talking about here. That's a selfish, selfish complaint. Amen? 
Oh, good. That's a strong man. That's great. So, David brought his question before God. Let's do the first part of, of verse 1, 1a. Why, Lord, did you stand far off? Why do you stand far off? He was disturbed that God seemed so distant. Then he referred, he said, Lord. He cried out, Lord, why? Well, Lord was a name for God. Yahweh in Hebrew is a name for God. What does it mean? It means I am. The same I am who... Okay, hi, John. Good to see you, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the same I am who delivered his people from Egyptian bondage. It was the same I am who brought his people into the promised land. The same I am who delivered his people from their enemies. The same I am who parted the Red Sea. Are you with me? That's the God that David was aware of. Yahweh. I am who I am. But in this moment, in this moment, God seemed so far away. For David, he was so distant. Where are you? Where are you? The second part of this verse is more direct. Uh, Second part 1b. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David complains that God is missing in action. Friends, life isn't always fair. It isn't always fair. Has anybody ever wronged you? Has anyone ever stabbed you in the back? Anyone been unfair to you, a boss or whatever? Life is filled with suffering and pain, loneliness, poor health, difficult boss, financial struggles. Church struggles. Why do some churches struggle? You know, I've heard this from, uh, for years, going to conferences or whatever. I heard one uh, key uh, speaker at a conference talk about why do churches struggle? Why do small churches struggle when you have a pastor that is spot on, loves the Lord, seeks to preach the word, but nothing seems to work out? Why is that? Some wonder, some pastors wonder, why is that? Jeremiah asked the why questions, didn't he? I mean, his life was a mess. He was hated by his people. There's some things we cannot explain. We cannot, I I can't be up here and tell you why sometimes a pastor that is so, such a godly man, but it seems like in the eyes of the world, His church never really, really takes off. That's where trust comes in, doesn't it? Where you just trust, and you trust that the Lord is in control. On a lighter note, I don't know. I can just throw this out, Rudy, what the heck. And, you know, some of the trivia why questions we might have, and that is when I was a young man, in high school, I raised in a farm community, so our, our, our money that we made in the summertime was baling hay. And for how many of you have ever baled hay here? 
There you go. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. Now I'm look, there we go. Okay, I'm I'm going back to the old days where you remember you had the baler? If you worked in the field, you had you had those who were on the rack and they would load, you know, stack the, the hay, and then they would take it into that rack into the to the barn, to the hay mile, and then you would it, you had two ways of, of baling then at that point or stacking the hay. You had the elevator. Remember the elevator? You put the bale, one guy puts a, put the bale in the elevator, it goes up and drops it into the hay mile. Another one. Now, if you have a really a, a, a wise guy that's on the bottom, he keeps throwing those bales on the elevator. And so if you're up in there in a mile, you're trying to pull them. And see, you, in, as you pull them off you're in the hay mile, uh, many of those miles are very large, and so you've got to drag these bales this way or that way, okay? Now, that was the nightmare. I'm gonna, that was one of my big complaints. However, some farmers had where they had, you could, uh, they were, what they call them? They had the forks, where you would, you would have forks on, on four sides. they take a whole bundle of, 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 the, of the hay, and they'd lift it up on the forks, Forks grabbing it, and they had, there was like a pulley up there, a rail, and go go into the mow, and you could say, if you're in the hay mow, then you could say, drop it, or something. They'd drop it right there in the spot where you could just stack the hay. Which one would you rather do? You'd rather have the elevator or the forks? I always wanted the forks. So whenever companies, oh, no, so-and-so, they have the elevator, not the elevator. I don't want the elevator because I know what that's going to be like. And I was always stuck in the hay mow. That's why I chewed chew my tobacco for the hay dust. That's another story that you heard many times before. Complaining. In a way, that's a, a complaint of a very young guy about such a trivial thing. But we all find things to complain about, don't we? What are you going to have for dinner today? Meatloaf. Oh, no. I don't want the meatloaf today. We had that a month ago. You know, we find things to complain about. Why, God, I prayed we didn't have, wouldn't have the meatloaf when we have the meatloaf. Bring your complaints. Here's the important thing. Bring your, number two, bring your complaints to God. David did in verses 2 through 5, and we're also going to look at verse 11. Verse 2, in his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. Verse 4, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him in all his thoughts. There's no room for God. Verse 5, his ways are always prosperous. Your ways are rejected by him. He snares at all his enemies. David basically calls the wicked man arrogant, deceitful, prideful, selfish, greedy, boastful, and godless. Verse 11, he, referring to the wicked man, says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. What he's saying is he doesn't need God. He's got himself. He doesn't need God. But here comes the transition here. David turns his complaints and frustrations and ability to confront and control the wicked man over to the one who can. That is the key. That is the key to 
our lamenting. That is a key to how to handle our complaints. We need to speak them, we need to address them, and then we need to turn them over to God. Verses 12 through 14. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me into account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. Consider the grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. After listing some of the character flaws of the wicked, what does the psalmist do? What does David do? He turns to God for intervention. Oh, I love this. Verses 15 through 18. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness. That would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. The psalmist here concludes with a victorious declaration of faith that God knows, hears, and responds to the challenges that we face. David used his complaints as a platform to cry out for God for help, for mercy and grace. Do we do that? Do we do that? That is so important. Now, here's something I want to share with you. I call it a little pearl of wisdom from, from the old guy, okay? When life is, is going well, Everything is dandy, but when life isn't going well, we tend to just kind of cry out to God. And when that happens, you, your, your faith is not consistent. If you're constantly up and down, you know, if you're constantly uh, not looking to him for the, in the good times and the hard times, then your faith is going to be flat out inconsistent. It just is. So if that's part of your problem, that you know, you, you're, when God is good, life is good for you. But when God is, when when life is not good, I'm away from God. I ask Him, well, I'm mad at God, or whatever it is. That's not a consistent spiritual walk. You need to find that. You need to find your place where you are spiritually in tune with him in your struggles. I, um, I'll never forget, I never had firsthand experience of this, but I do know of a story of a man who, a father who had lost his daughter uh, from cancer. No, yeah, it was cancer. And their family pastor was at the house consoling the family. And this is the story that I heard that, and then from reliable sources, I know that was true. That the father became very, very hurt and very, he was, pain was so deep that he started yelling at God. 
I heard he was even shaking his fist at God of why this happened. You know what the pastor said? You don't get this in seminary. But he was so spot on. He said, I can't remember the father's name, but he said, that's okay. That's okay. Get mad at God. What's on your heart? Share it. What's on your heart? Get mad at God. Because he can handle it. He can handle it. That is so rich and so true. You know, I think if you're a pastor, you say, why didn't I think of that? But it is so true that you can't, that he can handle it. Opposed to, this story I know it is true all the way through, the woman who approached Jan years ago, and they had everything in their household, they had all the money they could ever want, all their needs were met, a beautiful, beautiful, big home in Geneva, Illinois. And she shied away from Jan because her fear was God only would come when times are bad. Am I right, Jan? Do, well, do, can I get to know God or do I get to know God when my child or my family, whatever, has to go through a real bad, bad time? Jan said, of course not. That was just our story. But see, that's where her mindset was, and she could not reconcile that. Her faith was off balance. Does that make any sense to you? If, I know for some I'm talking to the choir, but really sometimes we need a boost. We need a boost of encouragement, of knowing that God is there, and, and when we go through those times, bang, you know that God is right in the middle of it. He's there. Do you think God is here in this place right now? He's here. He's here. Do you think that God is fully aware of the empty chairs? You bet he is. He knows. But he also knows... I believe this. You can disagree. Also know this, that some are going to say, ah, you know, this is, you know, God's not in this and this will never work and never work and never work. And others will say, God's in it. We just need to be patient and understand that in God's timing, he will do what he's going to do. So the question for all of us is, which side are we on? Which side is it? We've got to trust and hang in there. If God's called us to be who he wants us to be, then we have to weather the storms. We have to just hang in there and weather the storms knowing that he will provide in his timing. David weathered the storm. Why do the wicked do what they do and seem to get away with it? Why? But then David knew after saying that in the next breath, but I know, God, that you are gracious, you are merciful, you are faithful. God is always faithful. Amen? Be confident. This is my last thought. Number three, be confident. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. Just as we are yet, he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The Bible says we're to hold firm to our faith. That's what the writer says, hold firm, knowing that Jesus was tempted in every possible way that we are, but he did not sin. Okay? So, for me, this statement enables Jesus to empathize with us because he knows our pain. He knows our struggles. He knows our weaknesses. We can never, ever say, God, you don't understand. Jesus, you don't understand what I'm going through. We cannot say that because he knows. He understands. He understands. And because, because he understands, we can lament. We can cry out. Because we can cry to a God who understands. Whatever you are going through right now, you can cry out to him because he understands. And things might not be working out according to your schedule, according to your plan. That does not mean that he's not in it. He's trying to increase your faith. He's trying to increase your faith, your faith in him. Can you imagine if God answered every one of your prayers just like that? God, give me this big church. God, take this little church and make it a mega church. Thank you. God, give me that big home. Give me this, give me that. And imagine if God answered every prayer like that. What kind of faith would you have? You know, there's got to be an edge of growth. And that comes sometimes through all the hard times, where hard times are faith builders. Hard times are when we learn to persevere. We know that God is there. We know that God will come to our defense in his timing. How many of you know that? Many of you do. You know, why do you know it? Because you've experienced it. You've been down that, that road. You've been down that bad, bad road. And you said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang in there with God. I'm going to hang in there with him. And guess what? He turned it around for you. That's what he does. So, I close with this. Therefore, let's make it personal. You can be confident that whatever your problem Big or small, it doesn't matter. You know, God is not like, okay, oh, that problem, oh, Maria, that's too small. You know, I'm going to bypass your concern about that problem, but Chris got the bigger problem. So his is number one, yours is number two. That's not how God works. It doesn't matter the problem, the big one or the little one. It doesn't matter to God. 
What matters is to bring it to Him. That's my, my whole point today. You've been, been asleep, be awake for this one. Whatever you're going through, if you want to find peace, you want to find mercy, you want to find grace, you bring it to your God. Let your God deal with it. It's yours. Isn't it easy to say? Some people say, that's so easy, but, it's, but it, that's so true. When Satan knocks at the door, who are you going to send to the door? Jesus. I'm not home, but Jesus is here. You know, send Jesus to the door. Let him take care of it. That sounds so easy, doesn't it? But it's true. I don't know. I know you, some of you are so strong in your faith. You know what I'm talking about. That's what I do. If I have a, if I have a pain or a problem, I give it right to Jesus. I can't deal with this. You can. I can't. But sometimes I take it back. You ever do that? You take it back. But then you've got to give it right back to him. Because Satan's going to say, take it back. Take it back. But remember this. Your complaint, your cry, will push you into a greater power of experiencing his help, grace, and mercy at, at just the right time. God will respond to you at just the right time. Did you hear that? What you're going through right now, God will respond to your hurt, your cry, your complaint at just the right time. Which our reaction to that response is to know what you know what you know. That he would deal with it at just the right time. So whenever I'm feeling down about Family Life Church, whenever I feel that ministry is not going the way I think it should, once I get through all my complaints of why me, why, God, I've served you for all these years. Why me? Then I give it to him. I give it to him. Give it to him. Whatever is troubling you right now, give it to him. Let him deal with it. You just walk by faith that he'll do what he says he will do. God will always keep his promise. Did not he say, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you? Remember that in your lamenting, in your grief. He will never, ever abandon you. He's just got something better for you. He's molding you, and he's molding you in, in ways that's going to make you a stronger Christian than you were before or stronger leader than you were before. God has the plan. Wait for the plan. Be patient and wait. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you, Lord. 
And I pray for any brother and sister here that is struggling, Lord. And they're asking, God, what is the plan? What is your plan? I don't get it. I'm waiting. And I'm still hurting. I'm waiting. I'm still confused. I'm waiting. And I'm so anxious and fearful. Oh God, I pray that at this moment, if that's a brother and sister here today, that you bless them, that your Holy Spirit will just anoint them. And that you might give them your peace, that you might give them your encouragement in the midst of their questions, Lord. That they will find your peace in the middle of the storm. They'll find your mercy. They'll find your grace. We give you praise, Lord, for life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We thank you for life. You are in control of all things. In Jesus' name, amen.